Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. Hey, welcome back with episode three of Red Dawn. <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel like things are about to get real interesting on the podcast. Yes. Eric has put down a bottle of wine already. Yes. We he started another bottle of wine. I have started another bottle of wine. What is I it? Am, I am a bit of a bottle of, I am a wine lover. It is a uh, Larkspur it, Pinot Noir. Okay. It is from Oregon, also from the Pacific Northwest. I yeah. love Northwest wines. I'm okay. a little biased. I think it's, it's a, a better climate for grapes than like it is. California. On the on the east side of the Cascades, it gets very arid, and it is it's just the perfect environment for wines. And Washington makes amazing wines. This is a 2018. Okay. Um, I love wine, so okay. I apologize. I'm no, a, man, tell I'm us. I'm a super Educate nerd. our listeners. Well, so, okay. <laughs> Or do we want to? I mean, this is going to turn into all, a wine all podcast. All two of you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen up. Uh, no, I'm yeah. sipping on an old fashioned that I made, Buffalo Trace old fashioned, rock solid. I'm trying nice. to catch up with Eric. Yeah, I'm I know. Get there. I, uh, I'm gonna just start to do a shot in between. Uh, apparently, this is a race. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I will try to bring us up to speed on the plot here. Please What's do. going on on this shit? Well, first of all, hold on. Before we get to the movie, yeah, I feel like. This situation within this movie is such a random thing that's happening. Like, I feel like it's impossible, like, to maybe know how you would ever respond if you were in this situation. But I want to know how you would respond, Eric. Would you go like Stone Cold Killer Commando, or would you be like a collaborator or somewhere in between? I I would definitely not be a collaborator. It's just okay. not that is not in my frame of reference. I think I would probably go out with a in a blaze of glory. I think I would be one of the first ones to die, but it would be because I was rushing the enemy force initially. Yeah, because there's no thought. No, oh, so you would have been that dude like who died on day one. Day one, I would be a day one death. There's no <laughs> question. But it wasn't because I would be cowering okay. in a corner. Okay. It would be because, like, you know, fuck all y'all. I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. That's what I think. Yeah, I think the Russians or the communists within this movie, they, like, miscalculated how yeah. Americans, what Americans are like. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> Americans don't want anybody telling them what to do. No. Whether whether they're telling them a, a smart thing to do or not. They don't right. want anybody telling them what to do. Never. So I feel like, yeah, it's only natural that it's going to, like, you're going to have some bumps in the road. Oh, in, trying in to this, control people. In this instance, I, th- I feel like I am the consummate American where... 
if we do get invaded, I'm just going to go out in a blaze of glory. You ready for the shit to go down? I am. I am like so. I'm just going <laughs> to jump in. I'm going to go for it. Okay. I'm not going to make it long because I. I also am really prissy and I don't want to rough it and I don't want to tough it out. <laughs> and so I'd rather die than camp. I would rather die than go camping. <laughs> That's basically what it boils down to. Fuck off this. Kill me now. Kill me now. I'm going to take as many of you as I can with me, but I am not going to go camping tonight. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, uh, within, within the... Within the world of Red Dot. Oh, yes. Um, what we've got is this small, sleepy Colorado town. The commies come dropping out of the sky, paratroopers. Uh, the the kids of town are in high school or whatever. They see it happening out the window. So a small group of them led by uh, Patrick Swayze and his brother, Charlie Sheen. They escape out into the mountains where they're like content to just sort of hole up and hide and wait for this whole thing to blow over. But they decided... After like a month, let's go back in and see what the hell's happening because no one's come to get us and tell us it's all over yet. And they, they don't have a working radio. Right. So yeah. they go back into town. They find that like the town's being held under a communist rule. Uh, they're told that it's like Russians and Cubans who invaded or some shit. They've taken all the the troublemakers, the potential troublemakers, to be re-educated. But then they've killed other ones. So it's not clear yeah. who they re-educate and who do they just flat out murder. But so they go and they find their dad, Harry Dean Stanton, who tells them, Avenge me! <laughs> <laughs> who tells them, no, who tells them, like, you, you see all those years that I was abusing you and everything? This is why. Because one day the commies were going to drop from the sky and Which you were going to be ready. Every man in the city kind of <laughs> we've just all, assumed that they were going to be We've all been invaded. waiting for this moment. Yeah. But um, he tells them basically, yeah, you're going to have to fend for yourself now. They go, they link up with another friends of the family, uh, the Masons, who yep. give them a couple of young nubile girls to hold on to, hotties, <laughs> who, and they send them back up into the mountains. Um some Russians come up just on like a sightseeing tour. It seems like everybody's they, a tourist. They kill those guys. So now Everybody. they're like in a spot where, okay, now we've killed people. They're probably going to be hunting for us. We're going to have to either figure out what we're doing here. Are we going to keep fighting? Are we going to try to hide whatever? So that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. And so <clears throat> at this point, we, we cut back down to Calumet back in the city where, the, the evil commies have set up their home base and we cut to just, I don't know, like inside a, a building and it's, it's uh, Commander Bea and somebody else and they're interrogating the mayor of the town who just happens to be, dun, 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 Daryl's father. Now, did you it, recognize dude, the mayor? Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, like he's like the <laughs> constant, I mean, like I don't even remember his name. Like, I, he, uh, hold on. Uh, the actor's name is Lane Smith. Lane Smith, and he is always playing kind of the the douchebag in any movie that he's in. I remember him mainly, first and foremost, from being like Lois and Clark's boss in Lois and Clark: The New Adventures of Superman. Oh, I, I mean, I he remember the Perry, show. He was Perry. I don't remember the him editor Perry. or whatever yeah, at the yeah, Daily yeah. Planet. That's my main thing. But he was also the evil, not evil, but he was the rival hockey team coach in Mighty Ducks. <laughs> he coached the Hawks. Let's, let's, okay, he was evil. Let's be honest yeah, here. He, was, so. he was evil. 
Anyway, we're getting off track here. <laughs> the, the thing that I love about this scene is it just, as always, it goes back to politicians are spineless, right? I mean, like, this is the yes. equivalent of Vichy France, but in Calumet, Colorado. That's a deep cut for you guys to get on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. I've been watching a lot of World War II shit lately, so I know what's up. But yeah, that's like the puppet government. Yeah, the puppet government of France. Being controlled by the Nazis, II. yeah. But yeah, so what's uh, what's Daddy Mayor yeah. doing? So anyway, he's like, oh my God, I can't believe my son would ever be mixed up in something like that. He's not the gorilla type. That's a great line. <laughs> Which was he's like, not the gorilla type. He's not the gorilla type. <laughs> <laughs> because this is the thing that could happen regularly in, in... I don't have kids, but I feel like, yeah, every parent knows that their kid's the gorilla type or not. I love the idea know? that a child is born mm, and the he's father... He's the gorilla type. He's the gorilla type, for sure. <laughs> anyway... So Bea says that he knows that he was a student leader, but his dad like doubles down. He's like, no, 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 he's a politician, not a fighter. He's like, you know, he's a pussy. Yeah, basically, he he's a pussy. He'd never stand up to you. Basically, that's exactly what he's yeah. saying. So, so he's a big old pussy. Which is just like, oh my god, this guy is like he's spineless not only politically, but he's also spineless when it comes to defending his son. <laughs> yeah, no. which is just embarrassing. But anyway, so they. The Bea indicates that uh, Daryl is actually a member of an, quote, elite paramilitary organization, <laughs> an Eagle Scout. Yeah. <laughs> that shit was funny. It was a great moment. It was a great. And also, I, I think, that, I mean, I, I mean, I think that was intentional, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like for sure. Right. And that's probably is like that could be the, the, the Soviet perception. Absolutely. Right. Of, like this is. This is the equivalent of the Nazi youth, right? Yeah, America, for sure, for right? sure. They're yeah. like hyper patriotic young Americans. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, anyway, so the dad assures him once, one, once again, that his son's not a troublemaker. Anyway, Bea goes, okay, well then I need to know who the fucking troublemaker is. Right, Bea. This is not his first time, I think, interrogating somebody. Exactly. And so the politician, being the spineless son of a bitch that he is, goes. Well, it runs in some families, which mm. is, oof, that was a tough line. Yeah. Because you yeah. know what that means. It's like, yeah, yeah, the troublemakers' kids are the troublemakers. Yeah, exactly. So we cut to, and this is a good bit of editing. Snitching ass. And he's like, oh, that's community. Yeah. He's very fortunate to have a shepherd like him. <laughs> that's right. Dude, did you recognize his right-hand man? No. Who was he? He was uh, uh, Mickey from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, the, like, the inmate, you know, the fugitive. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was him? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> that went right over my head. I was like, this dude's familiar. What's he? Oh, he was fucking oh, Mickey the fugitive. Amazing. I for. Uh, if any Atlanta people down here, there's a major convention that happens in Labor Day weekend called Dragon Con. Uh huh. One of the costumes that I went as was Francis from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> Francis. I went as Francis. This Did he have a Pee Wee with you? Yeah, yeah. My friend Jen, she dressed up as Pee Wee oh, Herman. Gender swap. Yeah, gender swap Pee Wee, and it was like super unappreciated. But anyway, uh, so they dismiss him for the moment, but we cut to the communists are making prisoners. Dig graves. 
Yeah. Which is ominous. But it seemed to be for the dead Russians. You think that initially. They were, no, because they were caskets. They were like Russian flags oh, draped over right. them. right. Yeah, Or not Russian right. flags, but like the Soviet Union flag. Yeah, you're right, because they had the coffins and everything, and they prepped them up, and, yeah. and you was like, oh, okay, they're just but then it takes a, That's when it takes a turn, though. It oh, does. dude, and they were blasting the, the Russian slash Soviet national anthem, which to me is like low-key a great <laughs> national anthem, though. Like the music, <laughs> musically, it's a banger. <laughs> I remember that shit in um, Rocky Four when they were blasting it when, yeah. he, when Drago came out to it's, fight. It's, a, it's an epic, like, you just want to, like, pound your fist, right? And then when they were getting ready to launch the Red October and yeah. Hunt for Red October, yeah, 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 they're yeah, yeah. singing it. I'm like, man, this song is fucking, it's, like, low-key better than the Nash- than the Star-Spangled Banner or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Anyway. So, so anyway, but this is, this is an interesting point of uh, historical incongruity. Um Cubans and Russians don't celebrate the 21-gun salute. Okay. So when they do the 21-gun salute, it was like, ooh, that's not, that's not actually correct. That's not done. That's okay. not done in Russia or in Cuba. I actually looked it up. That's just a, a bit of tidbit for you. I'm here. We're here for the tidbits. We do. We love the tidbits. That's, what we're, that's <laughs> why I do this. It's the only thing that you take away from this podcast <laughs> yeah. is that Russians and Cubans don't do the 21-gun Strictly salute. Strictly for the tidbits. I have done my job. Um, so... Uh, Charlie Sheen is watching this through his binocular and yes, a makeshift ghillie suit, which he's I made was, himself a ghillie suit. You and I both independently of each other took notes. You got to love the makeshift ghillie suits. <laughs> like, it's just fucking great. Um, at this point, we see that all the people who've been digging these graves are lined up in front of a larger mass grave. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. At which point they start singing America, the beautiful, which Again, is a great song, but my first thought is, is why not the national anthem? Yeah. Which, I mean, I would think that in that moment, the national anthem is what I would sing, but they went with American I Beautiful. Guess so. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they don't know the lyrics. I don't know. But anyway, it was, it was, an, it, it was a choice that jumped out to me. Anyway... They also turned around and like faced the firing squad. Or they it wasn't even a fire they like rolled in some big old tanks. Yeah, it was. It was like this really it wasn't a traditional firing squad. They also had oddly like this other large group of townspeople, it seemed like there. Yeah. Off to the side, like witnessing all of this. And it felt like they were they had forced them to be there. Right, sure. To force them to watch what was going on. Just like because they were so cold blooded. So they had orders the execution of the prisoners, and they're all mowed down with way too much firepower. They just did Absolutely. not need this much firepower. <laughs> and so, um, but in a rare moment of humanity, Mr. Mayor, Daryl's dad, is actually, like, he's, he's like, horrified yes. about what just happened. It's a strange scene. Yeah, it is. Like, I don't, it seemed to catch the mayor off guard that yeah. they killed all those people. Right, exactly. But also, like you said, there was like a mass grave sort of situation going on here. I don't know. I don't I don't doubt the mayor probably didn't know about it. I feel like the mayor sort of like when he was like being a snitch thought, oh, they'll just be punished. Maybe they'll get 40 sure. lashes or something. But it seems like this is like the worst of the troublemakers. Yeah, exactly. And killed, uh, including uh, Harry Dean Stanton, Charlie Sheen, and, and Patrick Swayze's dad That's right. among so, them. So, so. Now, now the Avenge Me line actually... Avenge me! <laughs> Avenge me oh, okay. Hey, Dad. Now there is something to be avenged, finally. I felt like, though, it was just weird they would even be like 
we bury our own like fallen heroes right near where we also have the mass grave. This is not. This is like the first of many moments in the movie where it's just like the geography of where things are just makes no sense to me mm-hmm. because there's no way the Russians would bury fallen heroes basically next right. to a mass grave of you know the I enemy. I don't think. I don't think so. No, there's just no way. But I feel like it was just an economic decision on this. Oh, yeah, we can't build, like, multiple locations <laughs> right, here. Exactly. This is it. Anyway, that night, and this is a theme that comes up over the course of the movie, The everybody's crying back at camp. Yes. Right? There's so much crying in this movie. So I, I, I had texted you about this while I was watching the movie where I felt like, this feels like high school like drama yeah. theater yeah. productions, you know, where it's like these kids are just acting their hearts out. <laughs> they're acting as hard as anyone has ever acted before. And they're like, we're lots of hugging, lots of crying, yep. and like, yep. look how hard we're acting. Yeah, and it, it just it feels so out of place at this point, given what they've already been through. But the, it, what, the way I took it is it's coming into the larger sort of narrative of the loss of innocence, right? So mm-hmm. there, there is this weird undercurrent that keeps poking through the movie of this notion of uh, an anti-war sentiment that is blended in yeah. with this pro-America war sentiment, right? It was a platoon, the first casualty of war is innocence. Right, exactly. <laughs> Charlie Sheen. That's a, oh man. I don't know that. I mean, like, oh, that would be a great movie to talk. That's, but that's like, it's not really an action it's not movie. An action it's like movie. action movies are to me the where I draw the line on action movies is like gratuitous violence. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like this movie. celebrated violence as opposed to violence with consequences. You know, <laughs> and like lots of titties usually, yeah, but usually. not in this movie. No, there's not. Um, but yeah, like lots of bad language and and killing that's glorified, like yeah. glorified violence. That's action movies to There's me. no question about that. And there's no question that in at this point in the movie, Swayze's like, no more fucking crying. Yeah, he's, he's channeling his dad, what right, his dad had told them dad, before. 100%. And now this is a point. This, and, and this is, it's actually a really point, poignant point. point sorry. This is, <laughs> <laughs> the wine is working. The wine is working, it's, it's everybody. This is a really poignant point in the movie because this is the turning point. This is when no longer there is, there's no innocence left, right? Yes. And this is about halfway through the movie. This is a point where they've stopped being children and they've started being soldiers, right? Sure. And Swayze at this point repeats his dad's words from early in the movie. He's like, I don't ever want to see you cry again, right? And he had right? this weird thing he kept saying to everyone, like, turn it into something else. Turn it into something else, exactly. Where it's like, you know, take all the sadness, the rate, like the anger or whatever, and like yeah. turn it into aggression, I guess, yeah. towards the other guys. But I'm kind of with Swayze. I feel like now is the time, like, fucking take action, like, fuck these dudes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now we've witnessed them just, like, executing people. Like, yeah. fuck this. Fucking challenge. It, it, now is the time to go full on, right? It doesn't really feel like rescue is, like, on the way. No. At this point, like, it's been no. however long it's been, a couple months or something. It's like, no, no, no. We yeah. got to, like, take matters into our own hands and do something. This is the true turning point of the movie. Like, this is a real inflection point. And I mean, we've been joking a lot, but because this is, it's it's sort of a weird scene, but it's also actually a really poignant moment, right? <laughs> Cut to <laughs> a tank driving into a gas station to refuel. 
Like, <laughs> is that, what kind of gas does this motherfucker, like, have? I don't like, know. Did tanks tank just regular old gas or diesel? I meant to look this up, and I didn't. But maybe? Maybe. Maybe it takes diesel? I'm going to trust the screenwriters on this right. one. But it's still the scene of a tank... <laughs> Because it was like that ding ding. It was unintentionally hilarious. There's no way for that moment to not be <laughs> hilarious, even if it was logistically correct. Out of nowhere, for no reason, no context, Jennifer Gray rides up in a bicycle with a picnic basket. <laughs> a picnic? <laughs> a picnic basket. <laughs> and, and the commanding officer, and again, this is not the first time that. Well, the dudes immediately start to like, grab her. Oh, immediately. You know, like, oh, hey, mama. I don't know what it is about Jennifer Gray's character, but she apparently... I mean, Russians, I see it, but like... Russians I mean, just yeah. cannot keep their you hands know, off like, of her. Yeah. The Russians, it's like Spanish fly for <laughs> Russians. And so it takes their commanding officer to say, <laughs> leave her alone, but take her stuff. Take her shit. And so they take her picnic basket. Wasn't it very fortunate? It all worked out that way. I mean, what was going to happen if they didn't take their shit? There is so many variables in the scene that I'm like, I don't. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this was this actually this scene was too far for me. This was the scene really? that broke my suspension of disbelief. I, I, yeah. like, I I'm sorry, I jumped the gun and got us ahead of ourselves a little bit. Mm. But yeah, they take the basket, right? The basket. Oh yeah, we are. They, and then the basket explodes inside the tank. That's correct. Whatever. Yeah. At which point, and then it's like, wait a second. What the hell? Was it just going to blow up in the bicycle if they didn't show up right on time? I know, exactly. Like, she pulled the thing on the... She pulled Maybe the pin it's the like when they yanked the basket away from her, it, like, yanked some pins out or yeah, something? Yeah, or something. I but don't know. How did they know that sh they were just going to steal the basket and not, like, rape her? I mean, it, there was so many things so going on So much could have gone wrong. <laughs> so she goes running off into this field randomly. Or, I mean, seemingly randomly. Right. And so and um, the soldiers are not shooting. No, they're not. They're just chasing One after. One of them pulls her. out a knife and they're like, "Let's <laughs> get is, her." Like, who goes to uh, a gunfight with a knife? But so she runs away. They chase after her, and they all pop out of hidden holes, oh, Vietnam yeah. War style, and <laughs> I, mow down these Russian troops. I actually loved that moment though when they popped out of the holes just because they were so invisible when yeah. you're seeing, and yeah. they're like, "Oh shit." Like some Robin Hood type shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm like, hell yes. Like, it was a great moment, him. but everything about that scene was so choreographed. Of course. The chances of that happening was it was it, that was the moment that that scene pulled me <laughs> out of the movie more than any other moment in the movie. It was too perfectly planned and executed too, yes, or whatever. Exactly. Okay. There was just too much. But they do. They they hop out of the 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 uh the holes. They mow down the the uh, the bad guys, and now everything has changed. Yeah, we right? got the montage. Yeah, we get the montage, whatever. right? So we get to we cut to a scene where a bunch of commies are about to group uh, murder a bunch of civilians. Right as they're about to fire, here comes the kids. They mow the motherfuckers down. Right? They were making like. First of all, the people about to be shot had the worst fake tears ever. Like <laughs> that straight up like Vaseline. Vaseline on their yeah. faces or whatever. And then these kids were making like million dollar grenade throws like 
from fucking a hundred feet away. They're chucking grenades into the little hatch on the tank or whatever, and like it's shit's blowing up or whatever. It was right. Awesome. I mean, straight up hole in one. I called out when I was watching this. And he throws it, and it goes right in the fucking hatch. <laughs> I called out, hole in one! <laughs> anyway, so on the ridgeline, Thomas Howell raises his gun, and he yells, Wolverines! <laughs> Hell yeah. And if you weren't paying attention at the beginning of the movie, you had, would have zero context for why he is shouting the name of a wild, I didn't think like, about that ever because I never thought of anyone. But yeah, if you were watching this, it's unlikely you noticed the high school mascot. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. But that's probably the most iconic moment of the movie. Right? Everybody knows Wolverines. Wolverines. Like, Wolverines. If you don't know Red Dawn, anything else about the movie, what you do know is Wolverines. <laughs> For right? sure. But then like when I'm watching it now, again, I've seen it a bunch of times. And so it's sort of like in my DNA. Yeah, sure. But when I'm watching it now for our podcast, I'm like, wait, there's zero context for why he's shouting Wolverines right now. Well, this came up. So on a on the podcast we did before for Terminator, uh-huh. I was watching that movie with someone who somehow had never seen Terminator before. And, okay. and when the scene comes where they're in the nightclub and the Terminator and, and uh, the the, the Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor are all like coming together and it turns out that Kyle Reese is actually there to protect her. The person that I was watching with was like surprised, like, Oh shit. Like I thought he was there to kill her too. And I'm like, it's weird to think, yeah, if you were watching this cold and no context, yeah. what you might imagine. And yeah, so watching it cold, no context, you might be like, why is this fucker screaming Wolverine? Yeah, it's exactly. like, what? I don't get it. And at we do, all. they go back and they explain it right They do later on, yeah. Yeah, but, but out of, like, without context, it's just, it feels like this is a random word. A you random can word. Like, oh, okay, I guess you really love this weird predator. I mean, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, or you love the X Men, which, you know, sure. by this point, why not? You know, I mean, the X Men was, was long since around by this point, but. Um, so we cut to now it's a squad of soldiers repairing a phone line because I guess presumably at this point they've started their guerrilla tactics. That's what I was thinking. They probably cut the lines yeah. to lure a crew out there to fix it. That's to what kill I'm them. thinking, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And of course they're ambushed by our groups who we now presumably are calling the Wolverines. With much like heavier artillery now. We're, I don't know where they got it, but they have... Rocket launchers and grenades and like 50 cal machine guns. And then we go to a, a montage of scenes with all of this destruction. And apparently the, the shit that they're looting is also spray paint. Yeah. Because they're spray painting over everything Wolverines. Right? <laughs> and so... They're doing a really good job for like a bunch of kids. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Like the, it's a miracle no one's been killed yet or wounded or whatever to this point everybody has been unscathed anyway we we cut to bea and his right hand man again who we've established (laughs) surveying a bunch of dead soldiers and bea talks about how he's seen this kind of thing in nicaragua and el salvador and cambodia and angola and mexico this fucker gets around i mean he has been everywhere (laughs) so he's like a communist mercenary i guess like he's he's called into like sort of lead revolutions yeah and and so then now we see jennifer gray walking out to what i think is like i want to name all of my buildings this (laughs) (laughs) the soviet american (laughs) friendship center 
course. Which I love because it's also written in Cyrillic above it, like the Russians give a shit. Right. Right. <laughs> the dudes so, are trying to fuck her. She's trying to fuck her right. again. Again, like, what is it? I mean, you get it. I get it. And Jennifer Grey is hot. Don't get me wrong. But like. The dudes are so horny. They're so horny for her. Every scene that a Russian is in with her, they just, they really want to fuck her. Plus, at this point, it's like. They would notice, I feel like, if there's a, like a, suddenly a new hot babe in town. I agree. Like, yeah. Be like, wait a second. They've been here for like months. I don't think people are allowed to like move around freely. No. Here. I'm so sure it's like, like, you know. like, wait a second. Where'd this hot babe show up all of a sudden? And it's like, hey, bring your girlfriend around. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck is? <laughs> right. This is already like angling for a three way. Right. I know. It's just it. <laughs> the amount of love. That they have the passion that they have for Jennifer Grey yes. is remarkable. <laughs> anyway, so as she walks away, Bea is explaining the situation to a Russian intelligence soldier who has finally showed up, right? Yes. They're debating the nature of the Wolverine. The Wolverine. Yes, exactly. And it is amazing. The, because Bea is apparently the only one who seems to have any sort of grasp on the situation. And he talks about how he's not used to being on this side of an invading force. Uh-huh. He's used to being on the side that's doing the invading. Right. And he says, like, hey, maybe, like, in order to put down the rebellion, we should, like, mimic the American strategy and, like, try to win the hearts and minds of the town people. Right. And... The Russian points out, though, rightly, that the Americans failed to do that in Vietnam. <laughs> Bella's right. I feel like it's not, like, sustainable. Right. Exactly. To, unless you have the citizens join your cause, like, whatever. But the reason why this strategy can never work yeah. is because you have to have, like, a, a reason for the people. Like, you have to have a reason to believe the people there want the government overthrown, I think, which is why you could, like... That was not the case in 1984 <laughs> America. was not the case. You know what I mean? Right. Like, Reagan had people very patriotic or right. whatever, but... Yeah, by 84, like, patriotism threw the roof. Oh, fuck, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I get where Bayo was coming from, from a philosophical standpoint or a strategic standpoint. Right. But in, like... Well, like, for this to work, we can't just be oppressing the people in, <laughs> like, right? We're not just going to take them to the re-education center and, like, torture them until they realize, until they join us. Right, exactly. Like, and no. so, but this is, but it is interesting because this is the first scene where we get the sense that, like, Bea is not 100% in this fight. Right. right? Like, we're, we're fighting a losing battle. Exactly, yeah. And But anyway, Bea says that the advance has kind of stalled out on the front, and they need to try to find a way to keep the morale high on the soldiers. Yeah, this is like the first indication that we've gotten that there's like almost a larger, bigger war happening yeah. elsewhere that we're yep. not seeing. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Which again, we're half we're almost halfway through the movie at For this sure. point. And we've been so focused on the local skirmish that we don't have any sort of context for the larger war. And we're just now starting to get a sense that like Oh shit! Things are happening outside of California. Which, from the Wolverines' perspective, like that's true. Like they don't know true. what's happening elsewhere. Yeah. But yeah, as far as a view, a movie viewer goes, it sort of just feels like: Is this why do the Russians want to conquer Calumet, Colorado, so bad? Right. So anyway, the Russian guy who has just showed up has no contact for the situation. He orders Bea to keep the soldiers safe um, in the area 
right now, right? Yeah. And that don't worry, people will forget about the Wolverines any minute now. They're just a flash in the pan. Of course. No one's gonna remember the Wolverines. At that point, the friendship center explodes. <laughs> it completely explodes. There are so many dead commies yes. everywhere. All of the commies. The Wolverines are like they're honey trapping like the shit out of these commies. <laughs> this is why they said Jennifer Grey. All we need is two hot babes. <laughs> and we can topple, you know, the Soviet Union or whatever. If only we knew this in 1917. Right. Anyway. But the guerrilla campaign is like taking a toll on the foot soldiers because they're like, what's happening? Right. And everything like that. It is it is classic sort of like American Revolution style, right? Yeah. Where we fought guerrilla style and all these lines of British soldiers just kept falling to our unorthodox approaches to combat. Sure. Anyway, cut to <laughs> it is now November. There's a dog fight, I guess, right? Going it on? seems like there's some fighter jet dog fight happening in the sky. Right. And we don't it's there's not, contrails all over like the sky and shit like that and sound effects that would indicate that there's a thing but like right. I feel like this is a visual medium and we need to see it. Right. Again, we this don't is, really see a lot of what's going on. Which I also think is sort of like that's probably accurate. Like Yeah. They could be at 30,000 or 40,000 feet doing whatever they're doing. Like, maybe we couldn't see it. But this is a movie, and right. it needs to be seen by the audience. Agreed. Like, the, <laughs> I guess the verisimilitude of the movie <laughs> is preserved. But as a movie-going audience, I yeah. want a Top Gun moment right now. For sure. Like, at least we got to see a plane falling from the sky. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, Leah Thompson is watching all of this from like the ground. It's a, a weird little squat. Yeah, she was squatted like <laughs> as if as if using the bathroom, but fully clothed. But fully clothed, and it's unfortunate if she was using the restroom. But we're going to assume that she wasn't. <laughs> anyway, she sees some sort of explosion. We only hear it. She sees it. There's this weird like ring of smoke in the sky. Yeah, there is, is a ring ring of smoke. I yeah. can't imagine that's possibly what it looks like if a plane gets shot down. I don't. I don't. I don't. It was really confusing at the moment. But anyway, it cuts to her wandering up to the partial wreckage of a, a like a crash parachute. Like yeah, right, right, suit, right, right, right. Yeah. And there is a guy unconscious on the ground. Or asleep. Is, I couldn't tell. It wasn't clear if he was he Because he, he snapped right to attention <laughs> when she approached, but it's weird, right? But what's more important than how he wakes up is the fact that it's motherfucking Powers Booth. <laughs> yeah, this is Curly Bill oh, from Tombstone. From Tombstone. He was in Deadwood and Sin yeah. City. I mean, God. It's, wow, that's the first, the youngest I've seen him. It blew me away. I didn't, it could, I could not believe how young he was because I'm so used right. to seeing him as like, because he really came into his own when he was older. Right. Sure, yeah, yeah. And he peaked just, like around 50, Yeah, probably. exactly. But here he is, like, in his, like, mid-30s, mm -hmm. waking up on the ground, and she goes, are you American? And his response is, red-blooded. Red-blooded. That's so accent. fucking weird. Yeah, and this is, <laughs> I love this moment. I love this scene. Yes. Because this proves how bullshit all of these, like, questions are. She goes, oh, if you're an American... What's the capital of Texas? And he correctly answers 
Austin. <laughs> and she goes, oh, you're clearly a commie because you'd know it was Houston. Wrong, commie. <laughs> it's Houston. <laughs> Which is just so funny. Anyway. I'm so baffled by the fact that he was somehow asleep when, like, I feel like it couldn't have been more than an hour or two removed from falling out of the sky. Right. And he's like, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to catch, I'm gonna a, catch a few Zs. Why not? No one's here. <laughs> like, he's still attached to his parachute, it seemed like. And he's like, I'm going to take a quick nap break. We'll Once again, we, we come back to the timeline of this movie is yeah, yeah. wonderfully inconsistent. So um, she points the gun at him. He, he, he grabs it, points it away from him. And then suddenly she accepts that he's an American for, I don't know, maybe he grabs the gun in just the right way. I mean, he's clearly not Russian. I mean, yeah, he's clearly not Russian. He'd be the best, like, spy ever. Ever. So she takes Powers Booth up to the camp, and they feed him, and they ask him a ton of questions about what's going on. He's like, I'm flying. What do you fly? And he's like, F-15s. I was like, I was fight. I was probably from Top Gun fandom. I was like fighter jet obsessed when i was young i was like oh f-15 okay the eagle i was like not the f-16 falcon or that 14 tomcat uh-huh, i was uh-huh. like oh, i knew all the shit you know what i mean so i was like i love this yeah yeah it was a good moment and he pulls off his patch and he gives it to arturo yeah right and then arturo gives him his russian hat in exchange to keep his head warm yeah get a little trade yeah exactly so anyway it's not it's not. This is not sitting well with Patrick Swayze. Who the fuck is this? You yeah, brought who, some rando? You, <laughs> like, what is this guy? Anyway, he says that he's U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Tanner. And Swayze asks him how he got shot down and says, <laughs> I love this. This is one of my favorite parts. It was five against one, and he shot down four. <laughs> Which is like just pure American, right? Yes. The, he's outnumbered, and he loses ultimately, but he loses because the the odds were just too overwhelming. For sure. Right? So anyway, this obviously makes Patrick Swayze like, oh, okay, obviously you're good I people. like this guy. Yeah, I'm not worried about you. And this is the point where finally... Halfway, two thirds of the way through the movie, for sure, we finally understand what's going what on. What the fuck is happening? Because Powers Booth explains what has happened up to this point. I don't know if it's good stor- storytelling, but it's very realistic that like yeah. these guys on the ground in Calumet mm-hmm. don't know what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm. So they need someone to explain it. But uh, and they, they yeah, they've been cut off since day one, right? right. And so, yeah, actually watching this now as an adult, again, I haven't seen this since, like, I think the early 90s was the last time I watched okay. this movie. Um, it didn't feel inappropriate for exactly the reason that you were saying, because up to this point, one of the questions that have been lingering in the back of my mind the whole time is, like, what is going on? Like, I need, what is happening? Yes. <laughs> and so I was so ready for him to just, dump a bunch of exposition on top of me. Colonel Exposition has arrived. He's going to tell us what's going on. Thank God for Colonel Exposition. So, anyway, so here's what happens. Lieutenant Colonel. Lieutenant Colonel. He's not a full Colonel. He's just a Lieutenant Colonel. (laughs) (laughs) So, he explains that the first wave was paratroopers from planes disguised as commercial charters. Which I thought was interesting. Okay. It's a lot of money involved, but I guess that could happen. All right. Right? Okay. 
then that's what dropped into Calumet. I'm guessing. I guess that's what had to happen, right? Yeah. But then they use very they use accurate tactical nuclear strikes, which is a mouthful, to take out all of America's nuclear silos. Yes. I was in South Dakota like a few years ago and there's randomly like right next to Badlands National Park. There was like this National Historic uh, site or whatever that was mm-hmm. like an old missile silo mm-hmm. that was closed somehow on the day that I came to visit. But normally on days that are open, I think you like tour it like and wander through. And it's just crazy. They're just keeping that shit <sighs> like yeah. right by the highway. You know what I mean? Like that's right. just nuts to me. I feel like this moment though also was the closest they ever came to trying to explain like why Calumet is important because they said something about, you know, they're seizing all the mountain passes or whatever. So maybe a a highway or a railroad track or something passes through this town. So Calumet must've been a mountain pass town. If we hold this town, then, then American troops can't get past the front line. Exactly. Whatever. So anyway, the Cubans and the Nicaraguans, they invade Mexico and then they take out a bunch of key military positions in Texas and then all across the Midwest. And then they also, and this is really interesting because it involves Canada. Yeah. The yeah, Russians yeah. like invade Alaska. And then once they've secured Alaska, go through Canada to get down from the northern part of the country, right? This and, was like, it's hard to visualize what all he's talking about. Right. And I was like looking at maps and shit like that. Cause he's just basically waving a stick. Yeah. Like, oh, just a, a grill. This is Cal- <laughs> this, this is a makeshift grill. Yeah. And he goes, this is the Eastern seaboard. This is the Western coast. But this is the point at which I went down the, ra- the red dawn internet rabbit hole. Yeah. And it's fucking deep, dude. Really? Like, people, there's lots of discussions going on about the finer points of the movies and like, <laughs> detailed maps of yeah. what parts of the country were held and what countries were aligned with what side and everything like that. But, um, yeah, uh, well, it'll come up more later. We'll get through it. came on the rabbit hole, but it is deep. And I'm like, okay, people like put a lot of thought into this movie and, and whatever the details of it all. I just remember when I was doing, like I was watching the movie and prepping for, for the, 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 the episode, I paused this and I rewinded this a couple of times yeah, just right. to make sure, like I got everything. What a mental picture. Of yeah, it. like to get a map of what was going on. And basically, what happened was, after the invasion, like when all the dust settles, Free America is west of the Rocky Mountains and the Cascade Mountains, right? right? And then east of the Mississippi River. Yeah, so they've split it in half. The they basically split America in half, right? And the Ruskies and the Cubans and all the evil commies have somehow claimed all of the middle part of the country for themselves. Right. And he says right. basically they, they like, yeah, through their nuclear strikes or whatever, they cut off all the, the oil flow Yeah, they cut into off the, the country, pop- pipelines. And they, That's right. They That's cut right. like communications lines or whatever yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So everything's like sort of fully like severed or yeah. whatever. And then, and then... They make, they do some, it's a bit of hand wavy here right now because <laughs> the, the Wolverines correctly ask, like, seriously, dog, like, what, where is everybody else? Right. Like, what is what's up with Europe? What is up with Europe? Why aren't they, they helping us? They've already fought two world wars on the continent. Sure. They're just going to sit this one out. 
I love that also through this whole part, Powers Booth is just pounding whiskey. Oh, yeah, just hammering <laughs> it. Just like throwing it down. He's drinking that straight from the bottle. I He's love the, fucking hammered at this point. I love the idea, though, that the United Kingdom sits the invasion of the United States out just because, like, ah, we've already done two in this century. Yeah, right, 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 We've right, done right. our due diligence. Yeah. We don't need to do another one. And so, but basically what it comes down to is, is that after that initial evasion, free America is established on either coast. The commies control the central part of the continent at this point. Um, but we've reached a stalemate. Yes. Right? Like, no one is making any more advances at this point. This is the weird part where he's like, but the the rush they want to take America in one piece, right? Like, what do they want with Why? America, right? And then he makes is some, it for the for like because there's they want our like grain and shit. I don't, it's, it's never clear. It's not clear to me. And he also makes some sort of vague like uh, reference to the fact that like oh America doesn't want to nuke itself, and so like nuclear weapons are off. I the buy table. that right. They're saying the Russians don't want to do any more nukes in America because they want this land like untarnished. Right. right. And America is not going to nuke its own territory, so it's. Yeah, just like turned into a ground war. Right, exactly. And so I do like that the they found an interesting way to get around the concept of what is it, mutually assured destruction? Sure, or whatever yeah, the yeah, concept yeah, is. yeah. Because I mean, that's the thing that I was thinking when the the movie starts as an adult. Like as a kid, you don't really think about yeah, it. Yeah, you don't care. But as an adult, like watching this, you, your first thought is like, why didn't we just nuke each other? And and then this is like, okay, this is a good enough reason sure. for why we're not nuking each other. We've lost our silo. We're like, we've lost our nuclear abilities, it seems like, for the most part. Right, and Russia doesn't want to lose this territory for reasons that, whatever. Yeah, they're nebulous. Nebulous <laughs> reasons. reasons, but we take, it, we take <laughs> it as Bible that this is true. But anyway, so Patrick Swayze basically demands to know what started the war. And Powers Booth says, with his amazing baritone voice, the two toughest kids on the block. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Wanted, the fight was inevitable. He said it with enough authority. Yeah, exactly. That it makes sense. And then everybody believes it. And then Daryl, Darren Dalton's character goes, well, is there anybody on our side? And Powers Booth says, 600 million screaming Chinamen. Which is a weird thing for him to say. Oh my God! Out of people nowhere. still saying Chinaman in, in the eighties, I guess. I guess it's okay, but now, even now, like on this podcast, I'm like, should I? But it's uh, in the movie, so you're just pulling a quote. Anyway, yeah. Daryl, I thought goes, there were a billion. I thought, that, and and then Andy goes, Powers Booth character goes, there were. And then to, yeah, punctuates it by like, throwing some flammable liquid on the fire. Right, and it's like, like he throws the booze on the fire. And it goes up high. For whatever reason, the Chinese decided they're staking their claim with yep. America. Yeah, but they, yeah, I guess they did like massive nuclear strikes in that China. Was, I read that. Yeah, that was like it was. It's a good point. Like four hundred million people are dead in one month. There's no way that that many people died for sure. other than just like dropping nukes everywhere on China, right? Which Russia sits on top of China like Canada sits on top of America. Yeah. And I think it's like there's such a long like militarized border or whatever. Especially back then I think even um Mongolia was aligned mm -hmm. with Russia and it was just like oh yeah, they probably were like, look, if if we're the last man standing and 
Soviet Union controls the rest of the globe, they're going to just fall like their weight they're going to lean their weight on us and we're going to fall too there there actually is a remarkable amount of research that went into this movie given the nature of cold war politics at yeah. the time right which everyone was probably aware of at the time but yeah. watching it 40 years on you're like how does this make sense right and then you do research and you're like oh yeah things were different 40 years right ago. exactly and that's that's the rabbit hole i went down too is like you watch the movie and you go None of this happened. Like, none of this even remotely came close to happening. But then you look at the... And, and it's the same kind of research that went into things like um, War Games. And mm-hmm. you know, so many of the, the Cold War movies of that era, it was a really different view of the world. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. We, didn't, we weren't able to look back on the Cold War with almost nostalgia because we were in the middle of it. Sure. And so it's it's so weird. I wish I was old enough to watch that movie as it was happening, and yes. then and then watch it again after the fact. For sure, right? seen it brand new, exactly in the yeah. moment. Yeah. Anyway, we're we're going into a whole rabbit hole here. It's <laughs> okay. a different rabbit hole. Back to the 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 Red Dawn. Exactly. So anyway, so uh, Powers Booth character says that um, his family was in occupied Texas. And he doesn't know if they're alive or not, but he gets rumors that there were mass murders of civilians. Which we've seen a little bit of that. A little bit, yeah. Then we cut to, and it's later in the night, and everybody apparently is loves Powers Booth at this point. Absolutely. With that voice, how can you not, what's love, not to love what's not love about him? And says, okay, get ready. We're about to go hit a communist convoy. And then <laughs> he goes, come on. The early bird gets the worm, right? Because Thomas Howell at this point is straight up. He is like. He's bloodthirsty. He's bloodthirsty. Like, yeah. There's no humanity left in him right now. I didn't notice this before, but this is where Powers Booth wakes up and notices there's like a weird little boutonniere of wildflowers stuck in his jacket. Yeah, and he's Or in his flight suit bit. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. where'd this come from? Yeah. More on that in a minute. It, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Don't don't jump ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so we we cut ahead and uh, Powers Booth watches the Wolverines annihilate a convoy, just murders it was so a, many character people. They've got it down now. I feel yeah, like. no, they they are professional, and uh, I I feel like like uh, Swayze's character sees Powers Booth going, like, oh shit, and he says, not bad for a bunch of kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not sure. I, this has got to be ironic, right? He, I couldn't tell if it was sarcasm or sincere. But he says, your mama would be real proud. Your mama would be real proud. And I feel like, no, there's no way. Yeah, I, I feel like it must be uh, meant with a, a bit of sarcasm. And I feel like this is an opportunity to talk about the origins of this character. Because as originally written... Powers Booth? Yeah, Powers Booth's okay. character. As originally written, he was supposed to be a war-weary veteran who had actually become completely anti-war, right? Yes. And so the idea of him saying this sarcastically makes more sense. But when Powers Booth got cast as the role, he was like, no, 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 no. I don't want him to be so anti-war. I want him to be more of like uh, just a, 
authentic military guy. Right. Okay. And so they rewrote a lot of his dialogue <laughs> to justify him just being a regular military bro. Which who lets an actor come in and rewrite their character? I didn't know Powers Booth had that much cachet in '84 to to justify that. But yeah, apparently he did, and they rewrote his entire character to be a lot more just pro America. Well, I, I uh, he so he turned from like. R- First blood Rambo <laughs> to Rambo two and three Rambo, <laughs> like burnout soldier to like uh, no no, I, but I'm also gonna kill all the commies in the world. <laughs> That's a, like that is literally the perfect like analogy. So they finish the raid, and then that night, um, he he tells the kids that he thinks they're really tough, but he says that Denver's been under siege for three months. And that people down there are like in fucking medieval conditions right now. They're eating rats. They're eating their own dead. Yeah, like, yeah it's wild. I shit. mean, he fucking implies cannibalism, mm-hmm. right? Like it's fucking crazy. At w- that which point he sees C. Thomas Howell's character like notching another kill on the butt of his rifle, and he says, "All that hate's gonna burn you up, son." Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then Thomas Howell has like the best retort. It keeps me warm. Ooh. That's a good John Milius Ooh. line. It's a good John Milius line. And then he's got the little butterfly knife. That he's like mm-hmm. flipping that shit around. And um, at this point, Daryl's character, he asks Powers Booth's character if if he thinks he, they're doing the right thing. And what, is, what does Booth do? <laughs> he just walk walks off. off. He doesn't say anything ambiguous. Yeah. So... Uh, we cut to the next morning, and Powers Booth is staring at a lock, large rock formation, and all the names of the people that we know as characters from the movie who have been killed have been etched right. onto the rock. Right, Arturo's a- parents were on the rock, yep. and then Swayze and Charlie Sheen's dad was on yep. there, and see Thomas Howell's dad. And this is the first time we've seen the rock. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, this is a place that they keep coming back to. Right. It must be near camp, it I must- guess. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's interesting that these this group of guerrilla fighters, they they keep coming back to this particular rock. They've decided that this is this rock is where they're etching all of the victims' <laughs> names, and it just seems like a liability to me. But I just roll with it because it's like it's a powerful moment. It's a powerful moment. Right? You feel like the Russians would find that and they'd be like, "We're just let's wait here. <laughs> we'll just wait here, wait, we'll wait here for a while." Anyway, so Powers Booth. It's weird. Still with the the flowers in his lapel, actually. Yeah. Leah Thompson character approaches somewhat at a distance, but close enough that she can hold up a similar small bouquet (laughs) of flowers. They give give each other flirty giggles, and Leah Thompson runs away. At, at this point, I'm thinking, what is going on? With these she's characters? like, like mute, like she can't speak or something. I it's agree. a weird vibe. It is a weird vibe that we've not thoroughly established at this point. But we take it that she snuck into his tent while he was sleeping and planted the flowers on him. Right, exactly. And so all of a sudden, there's this romantic subplot that's a little <laughs> creepy on multiple levels. Yeah. A, because she's sort of stalking him. But also the age difference between the two of them. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so there it is. So Danny says, um, it looks like you've got a new friend. Extra weird. <laughs> Extra weird. 
And then Powers Booth says, well, she's really quiet. And then Danny says, something bad happened to her. <laughs> and we never address <laughs> yeah. it. Never. Another weird, unnecessary subplot. It is just so weird. And it goes nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut to another establishing shot. And now we're in December. Okay. Okay. There's snow on the ground. And Powers Booth in camp is helping all the Wolverines develop a plan to attack the communist re-education camp where everybody's being held. My first question is, is why does an Air Force fighter pilot have so much skill with planning large-scale infiltrations? Yeah, right. If he's like a, just an enlisted man or something right. like that, it's, it's unlikely he's like been taught right. all this sort of shit. Yeah. But and yeah, he's got uh, all sorts of jing- like lingo for so him and jargon. Much, yeah, so much jargon, so much lingo. And it's actually a great scene. He goes, any questions? <laughs> they, yeah, what's a flank? What's a flank? <laughs> <laughs> they proceed to inundate him with questions. And the last scene before it fades to black, he, he goes, I need a drink. I need a drink. So we cut to, now we're at this sneak attack on the camp. Okay. A couple of a rockets are fired. A truck crashes through a fence. And the commies scramble everywhere. It's, it's been a minute since we had some action. It is. It's been kind of quiet for a while, so we're long overdue some, for some explosions and violence. And the Wolverines do not fail to deliver. They wipe out the commies just like they're just fish in a barrel. And I love this. When the truck comes in, Swayze leans over. All of the prisoners, he starts, starts handing them rifles. Yeah, for sure. Because they've been stockpiling them, I guess, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and so then they go, and it's a, it's a full-out fight, and there's multiple cuts to these, like, um, VTOL planes, right? These, and they are. Like, I looked it up. The planes that are on set are actually fabrications of actual Russian okay. VTOL planes. VTOL, for anybody who doesn't know, is vertical takeoff and landing. That's what that okay. means. Okay. Right. There's Those a are, weird thing that happened where the plane started like sort of ramp yeah, up. And I'm like, what the they fuck is lifting. going on Yeah, right exactly. Now. That's why I looked it up because it seems so weird. They actually, uh, Milius, again, again, he's a big military guy. He did a ton of research. Okay. The planes that were there, there were replicas of actual Russian VTOLs. Which is why when you're watching the movie, the one lifts up like this yeah. is because it's trying to take off. But anyway, we keep cutting back to these planes. Someone's trying to take off. They throw grenades into it. <laughs> anyway, so it's it's a, a it's just a complete route for the Russians. Right? Yes. You know. That was the high. I feel like this is like the high point yeah. of the movie for the Wolverines. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, this is our, yeah, this is the peak of our successes. We freed all these people like. Yeah, the 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 captives are running off into the woods or whatever like yeah, that. Yeah, and at the end of it, when the dust settles on it, what I can't help think is, why are there a bunch of fighter jets at a prison camp? Yeah, no, they they definitely were. <laughs> it was odd. The the Soviet tactics were strange. I like the moment when they're driving off and Powers Booth has like acquired a new bottle of liquor. <laughs> yes, it's, it's like Dasvidaniya. Dasvidaniya. <laughs> so anyway, so. I think that that's a pretty good stopping yes, point. Yes, absolutely. I'm spent. Oh, my God. There was so much that happened. All of a sudden, the Wolverines have finally come into their own. For sure. For sure. So there's, I guess, a whole lot more to happen, but so much is happening also. Oh, my like, God. Yeah. Once we, this 
once it's just like nonstop sort of just action happening. Yeah. For the remainder of the movie. Yeah. But yeah, if you want to hear more about what's happening, you're gonna have to come back. Oh my god. Next week, because <laughs> Eric and I are gonna take you the rest of the way. Uh, we may or may not be coherent and sober, <laughs> but we will we will be here. We hope you'll be here too, and we'll be back. 